Good day, everyone, and welcome to the Adequately Informed Podcast. My name's Evan Kelly. And my name's Joe Hicks. And Joe Hicks, what are we trying to do here today? Well, you know, we're trying to have a conversation, you know? We're trying to... We're trying to to, to, to to say things that are informed, but, you know, we don't know everything, you know, but we like to think that we have an adequate knowledge of what's going on before we say things so that, you know, we can um, also inform you an adequate amount, possibly. Yeah, guys, you know yeah. us. Even though we were off last week, you still know us. We ain't on no ivory tower. We're not the experts. But hopefully, we've consulted enough of the experts that as it trickles down to you, we can get you some good knowledge. So, Joe, what are we talking about first today? Evan, I think we're uh, we're talking about that uh, Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Yeah. What's, what's going on with that, Evan? So, Kyle Rittenhouse, you may or may not remember... Um, After the Jacob Blake shooting in Kenosha, there was civil unrest and protests in Kenosha. Kyle Rittenhouse was a teenager from Antioch, Illinois, just over the Illinois border, who drove up to Kenosha. Like literally 20 miles away. Yeah, it's close. I ain't saying it's not. Um, But uh, he, he claimed that he was going there to defend local businesses and property from rioters and looters. In the process, he shot three people, killing two of them. And so now he stands trial. Um, You know, this is one that hits pretty close to home because Joe was up there while that was all going on. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So what do we know about the trial so far? Well, um... I think you may better know what's going on with the trial right now. Well, the big pre-trial news was the controversial decision by the judge to not allow the prosecution to call the people who Rittenhouse shot victims. Yeah, yeah. Um, That was was the big pre-trial news. And... At that point, um, the judge said that, you know, if the evidence shows that they were rioters or looters, excuse me, then they can be called that. That's not politically charged language. But victim? Oh, gosh. Heaven forbid that we call the dead men victims. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, this whole case has been a weird lightning rod of political polarization. Like... Coming into the Biden years, like, it's weird to have something that is, like, this charged still existing, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, you know, from, like, it definitely has Trump-era energy. And it, it became a lightning rod on both sides because this was an example of, like, gun usage gone awry for people on the left where they saw... I mean, and this is the view that I ascribe to, that this kid was basically out on the street with a military weapon and like just and decided, um, you know, in the heat of a moment that um, he could should needed to discharge his weapon to defend himself against these people. And. Then there's the other side where it's like this kid, 
you know, this is like the 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 prime example. This is like the whole reason why we have, you know, the Second Amendment rights is because that that kid was under attack by looters and rioters and like he used his weapon to defend himself. And so it's just become this crazy lightning rod. Well, it was at the time initially a very, you know, big lightning rod for all this stuff. But um, it's just a <coughs> crazy case. Um, and and I, I personally think it's just crazy that like there's gray area in it mm-hmm. because I see it pretty one way. So yeah, I I just I just it it's crazy and then that in the trial there's being given this much deference to um written house and the way that he be perceived and the victims of his actions be ah, perceived. Ah, don't call them victims. Don't you dare yep. call them victims. The the looters of this interaction be there perceived. There we go. Much yeah. better. Much fairer. Yeah, like what was how like was there much more explanation than that? Because like how it is looters and rioters like not charged language. <laughs> all all the judge said was that you apparently the argument was like we can determine if they were looters or rioters based on their actions, but calling them victims, who that's that presupposes that they were were innocent yeah we can't do that because the con the corollary of that is rittenhouse is is a monster yeah i get i mean i guess this happened i mean from the discourse that i saw on twitter about it was that this is a little bit more common than people think and there may actually be reasons for it i think this is why in a lot of trials um you don't use uh second person ways to describe you know the parties involved you just call them by name so like you would say um you know instead of saying when rittenhouse shot the victims you know that when rittenhouse shot mr whoever yeah 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 you would say mr whoever and mr whoever um so yeah it's just a it's a weird precision of language but it is also just like definitely odd like Mm -hmm. it's it it just feels like a lot, a lot of deference has been given to this kid over this entire process. For I mean, even from the night of, like he shot these people, and like the police gave him harbor and like water and shit, and like didn't immediately like take him away, mm-hmm. which is just like crazy to think. Yeah. But then, so go ahead. But you know what's also crazy is that this guy shot three people and killed two and was not immediately handcuffed and taken away. But like the whole incident that, you know, precipitated the, you know, the uprisings about this was a case where someone hadn't done anything but was being treated as such an imminent threat that you know they had no choice but to or they felt like they had no choice but to shoot him like Mm -hmm. like this is the whole thing with the the rittenhouse trial why it's such a big thing is because like 
it felt like such an opposite reaction for this kid versus Jacob Blake. Yeah, that is, that's an excellent point. Um, especially because even if self-defense is ultimately warranted, you would think that you would want to stop the person with the gun and at least gather the facts before you, you let him out back into right. the world, you know? Um, and, and that is what this ultimately comes down to though, is whether or not Kyle Rittenhouse in the moment believed that he had reason to fear from his life. And this is where you're getting conflicting witness reports because there are some reports that Rittenhouse had chased the 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 people who he had shot into a car lot there's other reports that Rittenhouse had uh was being chased at the time and that attempts were made to take his firearm from him but then there also comes into it the question of intent right were these people trying to uniquely hurt Rittenhouse or did they view him as a threat and were simply trying to disarm the threat especially after the first shooting it, it becomes entirely reasonable i think to attempt to stop a guy with a gun who has already shot someone because remember these kenosha protests were not deadly outside of this incident kyle rittenhouse is the only one who killed anyone in kenosha after you know the initial jacob well jacob blake didn't even pass away actually um he's still around um So also it's important to know that in Wisconsin, you do not have the right to use deadly force in defense of property. So there has to be conclusive evidence either way about whether Rittenhouse legitimately feared for his life, because I I was reading up on this a little bit. I guess that even if after the fact you can determine that there was not really a credible threat to Kyle Rittenhouse's safety. If the jury believes that he believed that he was in danger, that is enough to acquit him. Yeah. And that, and that's a frightening standard. Um, because like, I don't know, like in some, in in some ways, when I think about things, I try to, leave more leeway for human feelings. But when it comes to, um, you know, leeway to get, you know, take someone's life, it, it, it gets tough. <laughs> and, you know, with such elevated circumstances, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, if I were out and about and like, there was someone like armed with a weapon near me, I would be pretty fearful of my safety. Like no matter who that person is, like even if it's a police officer who is openly brandishing their weapon, like I'm like, Oh shit. Like there, there is a death stick here. And, (laughs) um, like there, it is possible that some sort of series of events could happen where it's pointed at me and I get the death, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like and then, you know, police officers are one thing because they're, you know, supposed to actually be, you know, upstanding of the law. And, you know, you know, and even as a white person, you know, I, I'm a little bit more trusting, but I still, you know, if they openly have their weapon or I even just see their weapon on their belt right there, I get a little spooked. Mm-hmm. So so the idea of just having some guy, 
<laughs> openly brandishing a weapon um, is quite spooky because just some guy is um, not as trained and doesn't have as um, much um, restraining him. Mm-hmm. It's it's or, you know, you can imagine there is not as much restraining him. So it's I I'm I, I, I to be honest, I'm pretty spooked by people carrying weapons. Yeah, as am I. Um, it just even under the best of intentions, it raises the degree of risk. Right. And this is something we've talked about before, that even if it doesn't seem like that high of a risk, it is an increase in risk. And clearly that was realized on that night and people are dead because of it. Another thing to note here is that Rittenhouse was 17 years old. He doesn't have the perhaps mental faculties to really be making life and death decisions, but he took it into his own hands and you know, the law is the law and the trial will play out the way it does. But hopefully we can at least agree that, um, by going to Kenosha with a weapon uninvited, essentially that, Kyle Rittenhouse acted irresponsibly whether he is legally guilty of murder like I said will be for the jury but he in my he eyes just, <laughs> yeah you just can't accept that this is what we do <laughs> this yeah. is not like a good or even you know neutral thing that happened like this was dumb and this should have been avoided yeah but it's become a flashpoint and Sometimes you just can't go back from that. Even the jurors. Did you did you hear about the juror who got dismissed no. from the case already? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Jeez. So one of the one of the jurors has already been dismissed from the case um, because when he was being escorted back to his car, he told a a staff member a an off color joke that basically attempted to justify the shooting of Jacob Blake. I mean, I or I th- I, I think I had the joke. I heard the joke. It was like, uh, why Why did the officer shoot Jacob Blake nine times? Because he ran out of bullets. Yeah. Yeah. So very yeah. dark, very callous, and definitely not indicative of a neutral party here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like if you, and, and maybe this shouldn't be the case, but in polarized world, like you kind of pick a side, right? And all these things stack against each other. So Kyle Rittenhouse coming and doing this because people were mad about a shooting that was actually justified means the Kyle Rittenhouse is good. And, and you can just go around and around. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, that's not the goal. Yeah, I also want to speak more to like his age, like, 17 like baby baby person like and a lot of like in the aftermath of it i remember a lot of people being like oh he's a patriot or something like that you know standing up to defend his country being you know he didn't want to see this town get destroyed and it's like You know, it's almost like the thing where, like, a five-year-old says something like, 
and God loves us all. And then a bunch of adults will be like, you see, this kid knows. And <laughs> it's like, it. he gets it. And then it's like, but the kid just says what the adults tell him to do. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's definitely not something I would have recommended anybody in my own life to do. Um, yeah, it just seems to be not a great proposition um, going into a riot with uh, carrying an assault rifle. That's not like the greatest course of action, I would believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I just find it hard to sympathize with his point of view, I guess. I guess to say it as delicately as or, you know as unenforceful as possible is I, I i do not agree with that worldview <laughs> yeah no i I'm, I'm with you joe and it is just important i think to separate the legality from the morality of it like obviously i, I think this was pretty heinous and you don't add fuel to that fire and we've seen the negative consequences of doing so the legality of it is going to be much different. For one, there is a, a standard which we may not agree with, but nonetheless exists for proving the legal defense of self-defense. And uh, how, how it was explained to me is that if the defense raises the potential of self-defense, the prosecution has the burden to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant did not fear for his life in the moment. And that's, that's going to be a pretty hard bar to clear. So I, I, I don't know. I'm reading the tea leaves and I think it's extremely likely that, that Rittenhouse is going to be acquitted. What do you think? You know, I don't know with these, you know, I would hope that, you know, there would be some sort of indictment or you know conviction but then again you, yeah i just don't know i don't know enough about the specifics of uh wisconsin's legal um framework under how this stuff works and then even then you know it seems like um either more leeways or fewer leeways can be granted based on the judge so like i i just really don't know I it mean, seems like their jury selection process has some snags in it. I'll say that yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's uh it's a weird it's it's a thing. It's um a thing. And you know, I also just wanna comment. Um I remember before the election, big fears that uh if Joe Biden won, there were going to be riots uh, and looting all over the country. It was just going to become normal. Um, has that happened? Um, checking my watch. No. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> just wanted to make sure. Has the Antifa been a real big thing lately? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're yeah? just working in silence. You'll never know. That's that's yeah. the thing about election fraud and Antifa, because it's all one and the same, right? Like, you'll just you won't know about it because they're so good at what they do. They're very dumb because they're liberal idiots, but they're very smart, very crafty. Yeah. Criminal yeah. masterminds and also incompetent. Yeah, they're they're lurking in the depths of doing crimes that no one can catch or know existed. <laughs> But it's there. Oh, you better believe me. <laughs> 
and it's affecting nobody but it's affecting you in big ways mm-hmm. big time uh, yeah <laughs> so yeah who knows we'll see what happens with kyle rittenhouse quite a quite a snafu and uh, i don't know just so unfortunate that we're here yeah but, yeah at least they're going through a, a court trial and all that stuff you know yeah there there's other versions of the world where this is just a like a non-issue <laughs> Yeah. Um, and at least it's not that. <laughs> yeah. As much as we may not like it, sometimes this is our justice system and we have a justice system that is designed to protect the rights of the accused. And there is a nobility in that. Yeah. That is certainly something that I would be very afraid of if it went away, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's not, it's not that there's no trade-offs. It's not that there's no downsides. But I think it is still a system worth defending, worth worth uh, tweaking as well when yeah. need be. But, you know, that's it's the way it is. And I'm not trying to rip it all up and start anew. Yep. 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 So what else, Evan? What else we got on the docket? Um, Elon Musk uh, is on Twitter. He's talking about stuff. He claims he doesn't have time for Twitter, but that's uh, he's still there. Oh, he's got time for Twitter. <laughs> you know, who doesn't have time for Twitter me, but Elon Musk does. Um, yeah, I heard about this Elon Musk Twitter stuff while reading actual news sources. And I twirl my fancy mustache and say how much better I am and how on the tower. <laughs> It turns out I was on the ivory tower the whole time. Yeah, so... um, I have a New Yorker tote bag, so I am definitely on the ivory tower. Oh, shit, you're fancier than me. Yeah. I just got to tote things around in my arms like a middle-class guy. In your New Yorker arms. (laughs) In my Indiana arms, gross. Oh. mm. But, yeah, he was saying some things on Twitter. Yeah, so the uh, some guy from the UN whose job it is to like lead their program on hunger said that um, he, he challenged basically billionaires to donate uh, what for them is a small percentage of their wealth to the UN hunger fund, saying that it would take like six billion dollars for him to stop world hunger, and so then Elon Musk had this really snappy comeback. He's like, all right, if you show me the numbers of how it's going to work and it's all public and out in the open, I'll give you, I'll sell Tesla stock and give you $6 billion right now. And so then the guy tried to defend himself and, and show his math, but nothing really came of it. And, and you know, I don't know if I've got a whole lot to say about it. Joe, I think you might have a few more comments. Yeah. But, um, you know, it seems like there's been an interesting kind of back and forth here because on one hand elon musk is a smug douchebag and he's not going to give this guy the money either way so this is really just a a stunt that i think makes him look really petty but at the same time there are some interesting questions about where international aid money goes because this guy here is asking for like 6.6 billion dollars his organization has already raised 8.4 billion dollars this year and that didn't solve world hunger so what's really going on there's there is some validity to it even if elon musk is making the point in the most pretentious way possible so so here we go joe your your turn yeah so so um 
fighting world hunger is a very complicated thing, which is not just like, it's not just like a food bank issue. Like you donate money or you don't need money or food to a food bank. And then they just give it out to people like getting enough food out to the entire world is a pretty big logistical problem. And there's a lot more going on than, like I said, just, you know, like getting enough food or what have you. Um, and there's also pretty wide variance in what, um, you know, uh, estimates come to for, uh, you know, trying to fight hunger. And those are all like trying to fight a different amount of hunger. So um, I'm looking at this report. It's I forget who it's from, but it's basically um, shows four different um, plans to reach zero world hunger. And um, what's quite notable is that each one is not exactly zero world hunger. <laughs> um, so, so there's, there's one here there and, and the cost estimates range from 7 billion to 265 billion, which is quite a big range. Um, <laughs> yes, indeed. And, um, they all ask different questions. So the $7 billion one is, um, you know, it's the investment framework for nutrition from the World Bank. And it says, what is the minimum cost to meet the World Health Assembly goals on reducing undernutrition by 2025? And so $7 billion, you, you know, to do uh, targeted nutrition interventions and stuff like that. Um, they're looking to see a 40% reduction in child stunting, 50% reduction in anemia in women, 50% increase in exclusive breast or exclusive breastfeeding rates, and 5% child wasting. So we're trying to like that's not zero hunger, whereas the 265 billion dollar program it says what are additional transfers and investments needed to end poverty and hunger in all countries by 2030 and you know there that's like trying to give people money through like a food stamps program and all this kind of stuff and that you know has the goal of zero hunger by 2030 and that's 265 billion dollars which is a lot more money so it's it's there are a lot of different ways to measure it and it's a pretty complex issue. And I'm, you know, while $7 billion would not be insignificant towards the problem, $7 billion is not going to solve world hunger. And if it would have, I believe some nation would have like picked up the tab for that by now. Like, doesn't even have to be the United States could have been like Finland or some shit like, you know, it, it, it would be like a massive humanitarian goal, but it, it seems like it's more complicated than just a dollar amount would figure, at least from my understanding. So I don't know if Elon Musk's um, money would solve world hunger either. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, uh, and I just wish that he was, like, less confrontational with people who were trying to, like, do good things in the world. Like, he he's just so solipsistic at this point. It's it's tough to get behind him. But, 
you know, that's who he is. Any other thoughts? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. He, I mean, again, we're, we're in a world where thanks to social media, people who are towering above everybody can also like express their just some dudeism. And that's totally just Elon Musk. They can get off the stage and throw bows in the mosh pit with the with the rest of the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah essentially, and it and it's kind of weird when they do. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. Yeah. So yeah, it, world hunger. I think it's a little bit more complicated than some people will leave it on to be, and I think it also costs a whole lot more than a lot of people would think it would be. So that's that's a minor critique, <laughs> I guess. All right, so before we conclude today, I also wanted to give Joe an opportunity to update the listeners on this very interesting project that he's got going on. Uh, Joe, why don't you tell them a little bit about your Galesburg project, what steps you've been taking, and uh, what the future looks like? Uh, Yes, it's Galesburg project. I took a step. It's going well. All right, we'd like to thank Anthony Hish for the music. Da, da, da. Just put on the Cheers song. I don't even know what the Cheers mm-hmm. song is, but I think mm-hmm. it, it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have been writing a newsletter called Inland Nobody. Um, it's on Substack. The name is in reference... Uh, as a dichotomy to the the term coastal elite um i am an inland nobody um no clout and i live in the middle of the country here in the midwest (laughs) and it's focused on um improving galesburg um more specifically trying to get to growth but i i'm i'm starting to think maybe growth is not so much the the best word but more like a stronger community um and, um, you know, and I've started going to city council meetings, which is actually quite interesting to see, you know, get up in personal where the decisions get made and what kind of decisions are being had. And uh, recently, um, the city council um, was going to approve the uh, uh, application for a grant um, provided by the state of Illinois. Um, I believe it was called like the, the rebuild downtowns and something, you know, urban living grant. And the idea of it was to help revitalize downtowns after, um, COVID-19, you know, in their efforts. And, and the project that had been chosen, um, by the city administrators to, you know, apply for the grant, was a project to um, beautify a parking lot and like a block or two of street. And I personally do not think that um, beautifying a parking lot has any economic or social value to the city. Um, so I actually went and spoke in front of the city council and got them to reconsider the project, which was a pretty exciting time. Um, and, um, also I, from my understanding, they're considering the alternative that I pitched, which was, 
Um, in the grant, they specifically um, make mention that uh, monies could be used for mixed use development. And I'm like, hey, our town has a downtown Real quick, has explain to everyone what mixed use development means. So most um, development that we see in our cities today is single use development. So like if you have a block and it's all houses, then that's single use development. If you have a block and it's all fast food restaurants, then that's single use development. It's just business. But a mixed use development is um, a diversity of retail, commercial, office space and um and residential properties all in one so think of a downtown building where on the store level or on the street level there are storefronts but then on the upstairs there are apartments like that would be a mixed use development and so the idea was to do just that was hey what if we got um took this money and you know apply for this grant to create our own program to help incentivize downtown building owners to put apartments in their upstairs because from my understanding it's actually pretty costly to do so and um one thing i learned after writing the newsletter is that i probably a big reason why a lot of them don't is because uh, those buildings have asbestos in them and and asbestos um, if you take, you know, if you dispose of it the way that the federal guidelines, um, you know, uh, you know, prescribe to do, it would cost as much as like your whole project would everything else without having to properly remove the asbestos. Mm. So it is like um prohibitively expensive to properly remove asbestos from uh uh buildings old buildings and that seems to be a good reason why but the idea being that we um kick in some money to these people to make the cost of renovating their upstairs lesser so then you could also you know have people downtown living there so that they can go and walk around and more, you know, visit the, you know, shops and stuff more. But then also that increases property values for the local, local uh, businesses, which actually brings in more money to the city. And it all, you know, it helps increase revenues. And it's, it's something that could be done that actually has a meaningful impact. Whereas beautifying a parking lot, I don't think bring anybody new to the area increases any property values it increases foot traffic or or anything of the such so um for right now they're reconsidering it and looking into the apartments proposal so that's cool um this week i believe i'm going to be putting out a piece that's going to be like a hey if that doesn't work out what should we do with the grand otherwise <laughs> um <laughs> So, but it has been an interesting foyer into uh, local politics. Yeah, I I just think this project is so cool. I mean, so often we get distracted in this big cloud of national politics because it does matter. Like, I think there's some people who think national politics don't matter, and it does. The things that happen on the national scale, they impact people's daily lives. 
but there's nothing that we can really do that much about it. You know, we have our vote and I think voting's important and you know, you can write a letter to your senator who's going to get millions of other letters and you know, mm-hmm. so- sometimes it has value, but where you really get the most bang for your political engagement is on the local level. And so I, I just applaud Joe for really stepping up and doing that and going to the council well, meeting. And yeah, of course, man, it's, it's cool stuff. And, um, you know, just trying to talk to people who actually have leverage to make the changes that he wants to see in the community. I, I think it's and a actually good step listen at, to you. <laughs> yeah. And we'll actually listen to you. Absolutely. So I think that it's a good, uh, it's a good model to look at, especially in a community of, you know, pretty reasonable size like Galesburg is, you know, you're not getting drowned out by 8 million other New Yorkers. Hence why you're an inland, nobody and not a coastal yeah. elite. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just good stuff. And I, I, I really like hearing about it. I think they will too. It's, it's really, it's really yeah. cool. Um, I, I will say you definitely have way more potential to affect change if you go at the local level. Um, because, um, you know, there's just a lot less noise. And since it's local, there is not as big of an audience for all of this stuff. Um, so, so like, it doesn't everybody... have to be as theatrical. It is more policy and process oriented because you're not trying to get millions of listeners or viewers on your cable news show. You're just right, trying but... to you're just trying to spend this grant. Right. But it but it's also like, you know, there aren't it, it's not as sharply divided because like there isn't as much. I mean, I'm guessing. Right now, there is not as much entertainment value in local politics. Like, you know, um, it isn't the most exciting political debate <laughs> to talk about whether um, car lanes should be 13 feet versus 10 feet wide. You know, like that that is not as exhilarating a, a, as, you know, y- you know, quoting, um, you know, Rousseau or Burke about <laughs> like. Um, you know, the uh, nature of democracy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, something like that. It's like, um, you know, should we be making extra ride wide roadways to, um, you know, make it easier for cars to drive down the street or should we make it narrower, narrower? So it's a little bit harder, but gives pedestrians more space. You know, it's, it's, it's lots of minute details. And if you want to get into them, there's a whole world there for you. Um, that's ripe for the taking, but I can also understand why it's not as interesting, especially because there's, there's no talking heads out there talking about it. Um, you know, you, you'd think that, you know, they're, um, you know, your city council or whatever are just stewards, um, you know, um, you know, trying to move your city to a better spot, but it, it's there, there's still politics involved and still choices that have to be made. Um, so to go out there and try and influence your, your point of view. <laughs> um, if you can go out there with an articulated view and I, and I'm saying this after I have done one politique, but, um, um, but that's okay. You know. This is the time for you to, to claim it confidently as a huge victory. Yeah. Yeah. It's just go out there, get some informed views, 
don't ask for anything that uh, really takes any extra money <laughs> and then <laughs> you'll be golden. Because <laughs> um, I, I think that's another thing that people will do. Like they'll go to the city council meeting and it's like, we need more money for transit. And then, then they're like, uh, where's this money going to come from? We're not like a state or a country. We can't just borrow more money. <laughs> you go so. go over. Uh, hey, hey, Alpha, can we borrow like twenty thousand dollars? <laughs> yeah, dude, we're we're strapped right now. We're not gonna make it. <laughs> <laughs> but if you can help me out, I'll get you two points over the next month, and we'll get this settled. <laughs> you can have. Uh, you can have the pizza ranch as collateral. <laughs> Just, oh man, that'd be funny if Towns did that. Like, some, like, yeah, it turns out pizza ranch is actually part of Alpha Township. And, um, <laughs> we lost it in a poker game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're changing some things up because their zoning laws are different than ours. So it's going to be a little weird, but. It's theirs now, but <laughs> but it also mean we shut off our water uh, to them. So they're going to have to figure out how to get water to them somehow. Just well water <laughs> for the whole restaurant. Why, why, why does this one place have well water? Well, <laughs> let me tell you. Can you imagine the maps that what maps would look like in that world? Just boundaries yeah. all over the place. Apparently, there are some places out there in the world where um, two communities kind of like grow up next to each other. And then like when they try to like become formalized, formalized and figure out where each other's territory is, you get like a block of this town and then a block of the other town interspersed <laughs> with each other. And it's just like really comes down to um you know, which town the people identify with. Mm. And then that doesn't work for a while. And then at some point you're like, okay, we have to be contiguous, you know? <laughs> yeah. So continuous Galesburg next, uh, political coalition. It's like we the are Pawnee continuous. Eagleton we won. thing. Yeah. We won. Our, our goal has been, <laughs> our goal has been achieved. We are continuous. Yep. So. Still Galesburg. Yep, yep. No, no little islands out there of Galesburg. Nope, we're all just one thing. <laughs> all right, Joe. You got anything else to say? Uh, no, I don't. All right. Well, then at that point, we are going to take this opportunity to wind down our now bi-weekly package of adequately informed. We would like to thank you all for listening and for your continued support. And we would, of course, like to thank. Anthony Hish for the music. So, for all of you at home, I am Evan Kelly. And I'm Joe Hicks. And we hope that you've been adequately informed.